Let us give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. We thank God for giving us another opportunity to worship him today in spirit and in truth. I never take it lightly that God has given you and me another opportunity. It's nothing that we've done that we deserve the right to be here. It's only by his grace and his mercy. Amen? Amen. Well, the scripture has already been read in your hearing by Mr. Alec Hill. Uh, might also want to state that the Journey of Joy uh, series that we do every Wednesday, Alec Hill will be interviewed, and you don't want to miss his story. Uh, just a powerful uh, story and testimony that he wants to share with us. So I encourage you uh, to, to listen in on that interview. Uh, we've been operating under the theme, uh, reclaiming your joy. Reclaiming your joy. Now, I, I ran into one of our members in between services. He said, well, Reverend, I, I, didn't, I didn't lose my joy. Uh, I actually still have it, so I don't need to reclaim it. <laughs> Amen, somebody. <laughs> and maybe some of you haven't lost your joy, but this is just a reminder. Amen. <laughs> and so during this, during this summer of joy, we've been wearing uh, bright colors that are indicative of joy. And uh, so I, I pulled out one of my Nigerian outfits and I had to reach deep into my uh, closet and get moved through all the blue and the gray and the beige. And lo and behold, I found another bright color. Amen. Amen. I see a lot of you where you look great out there. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> Today we want to talk about surprised by joy. Surprised by joy. And some of you may uh, be uh, already thinking that I got that title from uh, C.S. Lewis' book, Surprised by Joy. And that was one aspect of it, but really... Uh, Dr. Henry Nouwen, in his book, Wounded Healer, uh, said these words. He says, be surprised by joy. Be surprised by the little flower that shows its beauty in the midst of a barren desert. And be surprised by the immense healing power that keeps bursting forth the, like springs of fresh water from the depth of our pain." I agree with that statement by Henry Nouwen that we, as Christians, we should be surprised by joy, uh, that God is up to something great in your life, that he's up to something great in our lives, and, and we should be surprised, and we should understand that God is in the details of our lives, that Every now and then, God shows something that will ignite joy in our lives. Every now and then, uh, we, we must look for that, that little flower that shows its beauty in the midst of the barren desert of our lives and be surprised that even out of our pain, God has a purpose for pain. And that out of that pain comes uh, healing. Out of that pain comes, you're, you, you become a, an agent of change to help somebody else. Amen, somebody. 
Now, uh, you know, I have three points I'm going to share with you. You know, I, you, you know being a preacher, you got to have at least three points. <laughs> and uh, if I can get some amens, I, it, it, you know, it'll go a lot smoother. <laughs> amen, lights. Amen. So be surprised by joy. Now, the first sermon that I preached, we talked about William James Jennings' definition of joy. He says, joy is an act of resistance against despair and its forces. In other words, he's saying that joy, God has given given us joy to resist the forces of evil. And throughout Scripture, we see men and women of God who use joy as an act of resistance. Now, resistance doesn't mean that you fight. Sometimes it just means that you stand. It means that you pray. It means that you turn toward God. It doesn't mean that you fight. Well, in some sense, Paul says, I have fought the good fight of faith. But also in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the whole arm of God and stand against the wiles of the devil. So there is a sense where we resist the forces of evil. And one of the weapons of our, that God has given us, and one of the gifts that God has given us is joy. It's joy. Now, when we think about the setting, the scripture has already been read and the setting is clear the disciples that Jesus had invested three years in, in his earthly life, to prepare them to carry out the mission were gripped with fear. They were gripped with doubt and anxiety. And at this point, the disciples were ill-equipped to handle the baton of ministry that Jesus was about to pass on to them. The ultimate question that plagued their minds that day was, where do we go from here? Our fearless leader is gone. He had said he was going to rise from the dead on the third day, but there's no signs and no evidence of it. And if the truth be told, they really weren't expecting any surprises from Jesus. It's almost as if they were suffering from a case of spiritual amnesia. They, they did not remember all of, the, all of the things that Jesus said about him rising on the third day. In this hour of grief and anxiety, sometimes we, we suffer from amnesia. Sometimes we, we have to be reminded They really weren't expecting any surprises. How does joy come out of death? That's a good question. How does the church move from closed doors to open doors? How do we move from fear to courage? And how do we move from doubt to faith? Now, sometimes, you know, I get excited when I preach, so I'm going to, you have to remind me to use my Presbyterian voice. Amen, somebody. (laughs) How do we move from doubt to faith? How do we move from feeling powerless to empowerment? And how do we get from commingled joy to great joy? Because 
here in verse 41, we find that their joy is mingled with disbelief. But then in 53, uh, we find that there is a sense of great joy. In 52, there is a sense of great joy. How did they get there? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. And I, I, I just want to share three surprises in the text that Luke lays out. And I want to use Henry Nouwen's statement, be surprised. Be surprised, first of all, by the joy of his presence. Be surprised. He says, look at what it says in verse 41. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. It sounds like a simple, simple thing, but Jesus has risen from the dead. There he is walking through walls and he shows up uninvited in the presence of his disciples. Now, no one opened the door, so they, they assumed that it was a ghost. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says, you know, I, I am not a ghost. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, yeah, ghosts, they are a real thing. They are a real thing. This is what Jesus is implying here. But Jesus shows up and wants them to understand him in his resurrected state that he showed up and he showed them his wounds. He ministers, ministers to them from his wounds. Uh, as Henry Nouwen talks about the wounded healer, he heals them with his own scars. He shows them the nail prints in his hands and feet. He wanted to validate them and to affirm them as men and women of God. Now keep in mind, there are three movements in Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 1 through 12, uh, Jesus, there's an empty tomb, and Mary and the other Mary go to the empty tomb, and they go to do their ceremonial thing to prepare the body of Jesus, and lo and behold, the tomb is empty, and there they meet some angels there, and the angels say, surprise, <laughs> he's not here, he is risen indeed. Now go and tell the disciples what you have seen. That's, that's verses 1 through 12. Now, in verses 13 through 35, uh, Cleopas and the other stranger, we don't know his name, but they were leaving Jerusalem. They were disappointed, and they had hoped that Jesus was the one, that he was the Messiah that would restore Israel back to its natural, national state, that they would be victorious. And there they are walking with their heads down, and they're disappointed. They, there's a sense of anxiety. They don't know what they're going to do. And Jesus shows up, and he keeps his appearance from them. He shows up incognito. And there Jesus uh, asked them, you know, well, what's going on, guys? And they said, well, man, where you come from? Have you not heard? Everybody in Jerusalem knows what happened to Jesus. What, what roof did you fall off of? And Jesus begins to walk with them. And I can imagine, you know, sometimes I wonder with Jesus, you know, and 
Luke didn't say it, Matthew didn't say it, but sometimes I wonder if Jesus laughed. And I just, I'm looking for that one passage of scripture where it says, Jesus laughed. And I can imagine Jesus walking beside them and there Jesus begins to open up the scriptures to them. He begins to tell them from Moses and the prophets and the Psalms everything about himself. Now, I don't know how long it took for, for them to get from Jerusalem to their destination, but if Jesus went through the Hebrew scriptures, that must have been a long personal sermon. <laughs> Amen, somebody. But then, uh, as Jesus begins to depart from them, they begin to understand that there's something about this guy. He, he knows the word. There's something about him. And, and then when Jesus, they invite Jesus to break bread with them, and as they eat together, it says their eyes were open to Jesus and to who he was. And they wanted him to stay with them a little longer, but Jesus had some business. He had some places, some other places to go. And so verses 13 to 35 talk about Cleopas and the, others, the other stranger. And then we get to 36 to 53. And this is where Jesus uh, makes this post-resurrection appearance in the presence of disciples who are following him and they are behind closed doors. And they are surprised by his presence. I love what one writer says, that even though we may have a hard time recognizing Jesus, he never fails to recognize us. <laughs> That's good news. There are times in our lives that we don't recognize Jesus because Jesus shows up incognito in our lives sometimes. And, and, and brothers and sisters, there, there are times that, that Jesus, J Jesus always recognizes us. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the better we are able to recognize him in the midst of crisis situations in our lives. When we are caught between a rock and a hard place, Jesus recognizes us. When we don't know which way to turn, Jesus recognizes us. All we've got to do is turn to him and seek his face. This passage reveals that when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, we experience intimacy with the Savior in the midst of everyday life. Jesus reveals himself in the midst of basic moments of life. The table that they were eating at was a place for fellowship in the ancient, ancient world. The table was a place where Jesus was heard and where his presence came across most intimately. In every one of these scenes, Jesus seems to be breaking bread. At least in the last two scenes, he seems to be eating something. And so he is there in the midst of our everyday activity. So be, be surprised by the joy of his presence, because where Jesus is, when we recognize him, there is a sense of joy. The presence of Jesus makes all the difference in the world. But secondly, be surprised by the joy of Scripture. Be surprised. I'm not making this up. Look at verse 44. It says, then he said to them, 
These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Be surprised by the joy of Scripture. Because it's, it's, it's in the Scriptures that we, that we know Jesus. St. Jerome pointed out, he says, to be ignorant, ignorant of the Scriptures is to be ignorant of Christ. The implication there, there is that we don't know Jesus any more than we know the Scriptures. I like that old song that we often teach our children to sing, yes, Jesus love, loves me. How do we know that? Because the Bible tells me so. That, that's how I know that Jesus loves me. That's how I know that Jesus gives me peace. That's how I know he gives me joy. That's how I know the story of Jesus is through the scriptures. Listen to Jesus. Listen to the Jesus of scripture. Sometimes we get Jesus, we, we created a Jesus of America and a Jesus of scripture. And the two are not mutually exclusive. We, 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 we have this Jesus of our own ideology, but there's a Jesus of Scripture that you have to submit to. The Jesus of Scripture calls us to sit under his authority. As Pastor George reminds us, uh, reminded us to sit under the authority of the great king. He calls us to sit at his feet. You see, the joy of Scripture must be woven into our troubled minds, our troubled consciousness. We should be people of the book. We should know the Word of God. The joy of Scripture must be intertwined into our minds when we begin to think the thoughts of God as as, the, the, as Isaiah said, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. We, we're called to incorporate God's thoughts into our hearts and into our minds. That's why David said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The Apostle Paul sheds light on this, on this idea of the ver veracity of Scripture when he says to the church in Corinth with these words. He says, for I hand it down to you as of first importance that what I in turn had received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Don't miss that. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then to, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, as the one 
of untimely birth, he appeared also to me. Now, Paul says, I'm submitting myself to the authority of scriptures that according to the scriptures, Paul followed the script. He stayed with the script of God. And, and as Christians, we must follow the script. We must stay with the script of God. Rehearsing scripture, uh, Dr. Anna Carter Florence wrote a book called Rehearsing Scripture, Discovering God's Word in Community. She points out that the joy, that, that the critical, that critical common element is that for the believer, clarity comes when Jesus speaks or expresses himself. In trying to deal with difficult experiences, the Word of God is the expression that brings joy and peace and understanding. In other words, God opens our understanding when we rehearse Scripture in community, when we rehearse Scripture, when we begin to rehearse, we remind ourselves of what God already is, or what already is, and what is yet to come. You see, God has been to the future and back, and so when we follow the script, God knows what's going to unfold. And brothers and sisters, God calls us to remember our lines, to stay with the script, not to come up with our own script, but to follow the script that is inspired, follow the, the script that Jesus followed, follow the script that Paul followed, follow the script that Peter followed, follow the script that the church fathers followed. Church fathers called it scripture saturation, that we must saturate our minds with the word of God. That we must wash our minds with the Word of God. God gives us fresh understanding, fresh perspective, fresh, a fresh ideology of what He wants to do in us and through us. And so, Scripture saturation is about us as, as a community, community of faith reading the Scripture together. It's about us as a community of faith, uh, not forgetting about the, the community that's behind us, that those on whose shoulders we stand on, uh, people like Tertullian, people like Origen, uh, people like John Calvin, people, people that have come through those who have done the hard work of Scripture to help us to understand what God has said in His Word. So, brothers and sisters, I, I, I just want to encourage you today to stick with the script. Stick with the script about marriage. Stick with the script about the Word of God. Stick with the script. Because sometimes we rehearse the wrong things. Sometimes we watch too much CNN and we're rehearsing what they've said. Amen, lights. <laughs> sometimes we rehearse... Uh, Fox News and what they've said. God, God has called us to be people of the book, not people of CNN, not people of Fox, but people of the Scripture. That's why I love the immersed Bible reading that we've been doing as a church, because it gives us an opportunity to rehearse Scripture with one another. And, and, and talk about what God has said in his word. You know, this is, this is what Jesus is telling me. He said, now, 
Now, I've told you guys all about this before the crucifixion. Now I'm telling you again, after the resurrection, what I've already said, and now uh, I've kept my promise. I've kept the main promise because all of the other promises contingent on this promise of the resurrection. Now, if I can rise from the dead, then you ought to know that you can trust me, that I have a great track record. Amen, somebody. Be surprised by the joy of Scripture. God has blessed us to read the Scripture and to meditate on it and to rehearse it in our lives. Last but not least, be surprised by the miracle of joy. Be surprised that when we encounter the resurrected Jesus, he replaces grief, anxiety, worry, and all the joy stealers that come our way, he replaces it with joy. Sometimes you can be on the highway and somebody try to steal your joy in traffic. <laughs> Amen, somebody. You can be praising God in the car and all of a sudden somebody cut in front of you trying to steal your joy. <laughs> Sometimes you can go to work in a good mood and, and your employee or your employer, your fellow employees can steal your joy with their jealousy and trying to, try to do a one-up on you. But don't let them steal your joy. I love what this text is implying here, Jesus says to them, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of the resurrection. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father has promised, to stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Because when now they're behind closed doors, they, they have anxiety, they have fear, they're worried. But when the Spirit comes upon them, they're going to be able to say some things that they wouldn't normally be able to say. They're going to be able to do some things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. It would be supernatural. They're going to be able to go some places that they wouldn't normally be able to go or have the courage to go, but because of the Spirit being resident and present over them, they will go and do what God has called them to do. Such is the case in our lives. If God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That as long as we are with God, we are the majority. Even if we're one person, as long as we got God on our side and the bigness of God, there's no mountain that we can't climb. There's no valley that we can't walk through. There's no challenge that we can't conquer. If we trust God that he's bigger than our circumstances, You know, it says in this text, is, and I'm coming to a close, brothers and sisters, and I really mean it. <laughs> While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. <laughs> and they were continually in the temple blessing God. Is this the same group that we... Read about in verse 41, what happened between verse 41 and verse 53? Jesus' presence. 
What happened between verse 41 and verse 53? Jesus speaks life into them and gives them clarity. What happened between verse 41 and verse 53? Jesus encourages them and tells them that you have joy within you. You have my presence with you, and I'm sending you out as representatives and witnesses of me. Bishop Desmond Tutu, talking about joy, he says, discovering more joy does not save us from the inevitability of hardship and heartbreak. In fact, we may cry more, cry more easily, but we will laugh more easily too. Perhaps we are just more alive. Yet, as we discover more joy, we can face suffering in a way that ennobles us rather than embitters us. We have hardship without becoming hard. We have heartbreaks without being broken. What a powerful word. It, it reminds me of something Paul said. He says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we're always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. What a powerful word. Brothers and sisters, all of the things that happen is that because the life of Jesus, that the gospel may be made visible in our flesh. So he sends them out. I love what Christopher Wright says, that mission is the activity of the church. The church does not send out missionaries, for the church by definition is a missionary body composed entirely of missionaries. Not members, but missionaries. Not believers, but that, inclu that includes it. not only believers, but missionaries. God sends us out. And we come here to worship God. But worship is not about just making us feel good. It's not about, you know, making us feel good and then go, go home and eat dinner and, and, and take a nap. Amen, somebody. <laughs> but worship, when we come to worship, most, first and foremost, we come here to meet Jesus. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. First and foremost, we come here to meet Jesus. And meeting Jesus makes all the difference in the world. Meeting Jesus gives us a renewed focus, a renewed mission, and when we leave this place, we gather to worship, but we scatter to serve. Worship should motivate, motivate us to walk the walk and talk the talk and, and serve those who are in need. This is what this passage is telling us. You know, it wasn't this joy that they had, it, it wasn't just any old joy, it was a resurrection joy. It was a soul-stirring joy. It was a joy, joy, joy down in my heart. It was a devil thought, me had, thought he had me joy, but it's down in my heart. It was a resurrection 
joy. You know, perhaps we need to meet Jesus again. Just like they met, they met him before the crucifixion, then they met him after the resurrection. Maybe we need to meet him again because we have, we've accepted him as Lord, as Savior, but not as Lord. Maybe we need to meet Jesus again and sit under his teaching and recognize him. Their hearts needed a more thorough instruction, and Jesus did it after his resurrection. He began to make things plain to them and make things clear in his post-resurrection appearance. Kind of reminds me, brothers and sisters, my wife and I went to the East Coast to a Ghanaian wedding engagement, and it was a knocking on the door. It was the bride's family and the groom's family, and it was a reenactment of a tradition that is practiced in Africa and in Ghana. And there we were, there was this reenactment, and the bride's family and the groom's family and the groom's family, the father went over and they brought all of these gifts and put it at the feet of the bride's family. And then there was an envelope that was passed and it was given to the father. He looked into the envelope, he said, no, that's not enough. My, my, my daughter's worth more than that. And so they gave it back to, to the groom's, to the, to the groom, and, he, and then the groom's family, he put some more money in there. And then they gave the envelope and he said, no, that's, that's not enough. And then the third, by the third time, he asked the daughter, the bride, is this enough? And she said, yes, daddy, it's enough. And, and, and I couldn't help but think about Christ and his church. I couldn't help but think about the groom and the bride, his church. That Jesus didn't bring any gifts uh, to us, but he laid down his life for us. Jesus didn't give any jewelry for us, but he gave his soul, and he gave us joy, and he gave us peace, and he gave us love. He gave us everything that we needed to be successful. And one day, Jesus is coming back for his church. One day, he's coming back. He's coming back, brothers and sisters, so be surprised <laughs> by the, the mystery of his joy. Be surprised by the joy of Scripture. Be surprised by the joy of his presence. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for being a God who surprises us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking life into us. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of your presence. Thank you, Lord, for the joy of Scripture that we can open every day. Thank you, Lord, for the joy, this great joy that the world didn't give and the world can't take away that we have in Jesus. And, Father, we know there may be somebody here today, somebody online, somebody who needs to know that you died to give them an abundant life. You rose to give them life. You rose to give them a second chance. Lord, would you reach into the corridors of their heart and let them know that you love them? Those who are not yet Christians, Lord God, make it plain to them right now that you're able to give them joy 
in the midst of grief, joy in the midst of sadness, that you're able to bring them through. Lord, we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.